party people. Hello. It is another episode of Everything You Need Is Within. Tonight, I am joined by a new friend of mine who I met from a very exciting milestone, um, I think, for both of our careers in general. And she is just a total rock star and somebody that I can't see my life without now. So without further ado, welcome to my friend, Serafina Nance. Hello. Happy to be here. I love you. Thanks for having me. Oh my gosh. This is going to be so fun. We are going to be talking about all kinds of things today. But for those that don't know who you are, which is sad, um, but you're listening now, so that's good. Um, <laughs> please tell us just a little bit like what is your your basic elevator like, hi, here I am. Yeah. Um, okay. So basic elevator pitch is that I am an astrophysicist um, wrapping up my PhD on supernova and computational cosmology which I can talk about more later um, at UC Berkeley right now. And I am also an analog astronaut. I completed a simulation on quote unquote Mars uh, almost a full year ago. And I write books. I'm writing my memoir right now. I just wrote a children's book about astronomy. And I talk about science a lot online and in other places. yeah, lots of things going on. Didn't mention like women's health advocacy and some other things that I that are important to me, but those are those are some of them at least. Yes. Some of them. <laughs> uh, you left out a pretty major one in how we met. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Current Sports Illustrated swimsuit finalist. Yes. That's so true. That and that's how we met. It was a dream. Come Let's true. go. <laughs> um, but yeah. First of all, amazing, and it is so cool. There's so much to unpack, Um, but before we get into like career and SI and health advocacy, um, what is kind of like your career path and how you went from, you know, your your background to undergrad to grad school to this PhD um, and how that kind of landed you in this field of being an astronaut? Yeah, um, it's been a really, uh, it's been a whirlwind. I was in love with the stars ever since I was little. So I knew I wanted to do something with the night sky, whether it was becoming an astronaut or becoming an astronomer, like as long as it had to do with the night sky, I was happy. Um, But I studied physics and astronomy in college um, and fell in love with research. I think I really like asking big questions and, and uncovering, you know, mysteries about the universe that haven't been solved before. I think that's just like so enchanting. So, um, that's why I decided to go to grad school. So, um, I ended up at Berkeley, which, you know, is a dream come true for me. And, um, I knew I liked exploding stars, like how sick is an, that's just like a cool thing. Um, And the more I, the more I learn about them, the the more excited I get about researching them. So um, that's sort of the astronomy journey. And then, you know, I, who doesn't, I I don't know, who doesn't want to go to space? Like, it's such a, like an incredible, I think, opportunity for you know, for people. And I think, um, you know, anyone can, technically anybody can apply it to be an astronaut. Um, There are astronaut candidacy, uh, like calls that occur every couple of years. And um, I applied to NASA a couple years ago, and um, was rejected. And I think from that rejection, I was able to think a lot about what I want to work on what I want to you know, add to my skills and my experiences so that, you know, in the future, when I apply again, I will be an even more compelling candidate. So that has been just a really exciting way to do some really neat things like the uh, Mars simulation. I flew in zero gravity. Um, I did hypoxia training. So it's just like, you know, finding cool new things to explore and get and getting to do. That's so cool. Um, And I think like a beautiful thing that you're talking about is really this idea of like rejection is redirection, which we do have someone who said that in the chat here. Um, And I, I really believe in that fully. And 
who knows, like if you were an astronaut, you would be doing different things in life or maybe not have certain opportunities or may not have taken certain risks that you have, um, I guess. And um, I guess the next thing I would like to maybe dive into is how we met because people are like, how do you meet and find your guests for your show? And I'm just like, they're my friends from the internet. (laughs) I literally met through a screen. Um, Are they real? Is this a simulation (laughs) or are we actually real friends? No, we're real friends. um, (laughs) And we met because of the Sports Illustrated Swim Search, which is so cool. And I feel like it was really wild. Like I know we talked like in depth about this before, but like at least to me, it still feels like we were like a duo that was like, (laughs) yeah, like what is it called? Like made for the stars or something? What's the, what's the, what's the word I'm trying to come fate. up with? Fate. Yes, it was fate. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, so just from like the beginning of it. So I don't know, like I want to hear your journey specifically with it. And then we can kind of like dive in and out of our craziness throughout the whole thing because – it was crazy party people. It was crazy. <laughs> it was, I, I'm like still exhausted and exhilarated, but exhausted thinking yeah. about that weekend. It was so much. Um, but yeah, I never, ever, ever, ever considered um, doing something like that and applying to something like Sports Illustrated. Um, but I, so for those who don't know, I, um, have a genetic mutation that puts me at high risk of breast cancer, ovarian cancer, uh, pancreatic cancer, lots, lots of cancers. Um, but the most, the biggest one is breast cancer. I have an 87% lifetime risk of getting breast cancer. Um, and so two years ago I had a preventative double mastectomy and, um, you know, that's been a long journey of healing and of getting, coming to terms with how my body has changed. Um, and you know, one of my friends basically reached out a couple of months ago and said, you know, I sports illustrated as a swimsuit is soliciting this casting call. And I think your story and your journey, um, would be really impactful to share with people. And I think you should apply. Um, and so that was sort of my introduction to the whole world of sports illustrated swimsuit. And, um, you know, I, I wanted to be a part of this community because I felt like, um, not only are the people that I've met incredibly empowering and incredibly kind and smart, um, just like savvy people who are determined in their own like spheres of interest. Um, but also because I felt like, you know, that's a platform that I can reach people that I might not have previously reached with my women's health advocacy and with my STEM advocacy and just, you know, in, in encouraging, empowering voices to be heard. Um, and so I applied and was totally shocked when I got the call that I was um, selected as a finalist. I literally think I like cried and like fell down like my whole body was like cannot like function anymore um yeah and then we flew to the dr and you and i were stuck together like glue (laughs) for like 48 hours and it was amazing and we didn't sleep literally at all yeah Yeah. (laughs) you guys I have not admitted this publicly, but like if it was not for Serafina, I don't know if I would have made our morning shoot on the way. I was just day. thinking about She's that today. Slamming the door. I was um, literally but, just thinking about that. But yeah, it was it was so interesting because like that the way that like we find out about these things and these opportunities is so interesting. Like again, yours was through a friend. Mine was through like someone I knew at USC for other girls. It's been something they've been trying out for, for years. Right. So like, it's really interesting to see how different people have different kind of ways of getting the, to this opportunity. But I, I think this year it's so cool because we kind of are rewriting the script on what it means to be sexy and like what it means to be empowered by wearing a swimsuit, which a lot of times I think in the media has been very negative unless you are a stereotypical like standard fit model. And I'm just wondering how you kind of felt embracing like, you know, being in these bathing suits that maybe you never would wear and like what your fitting experience was like. 
Yeah. I mean, I think there are two parts. One is that I think it's such a testament to the community and the publication that SI has built to be able to reach these different people like me who never picked up a magazine like Sports Illustrated Mm -hmm. or never like even remotely thought that that was something that I would, you know, experience in my life. So like, I think that really is such a testament to the work that they're doing um, and the community that they're creating. So that's one part. And then, you know, when I was there, when I was walking to the fitting, I mean, we were together, I was so anxious. Like I, I mean, I didn't find swimsuits right away. Like I, I felt really nervous and like, I think, you know, it's not only, I think is trying on swimsuits, just like never really a fun experience, like in general, but then you're in front of people, like people are taking pictures of you. And so at first I was really like, I didn't feel good. And then, you know, MJ, who's the editor in chief, for those who don't know, um, and some of the other women who worked there came up to me and were like, so kind, like so kind and helped guide me. And like, you were there, Ashley was there, um, another finalist. And I think like, I sort of fell into the the vibe of the community and how nobody, literally nobody was judging. Nobody was like shaming anybody. Like it was just such a, an empowering, comforting, like beautiful experience. And I cried like out of yeah. gratitude. I was just yeah. like, I was, I like literally hugged MJ and was like, you changed my life in this last hour, you know, <laughs> in a way that I never would have ever considered. Yeah. Um, it's so and I, true. Yeah, I think like we like both on the on the beach were just like so happy and like <laughs> thrilled and empowered and like felt sexy and felt good about like our bodies and about what we looked like and like I don't know. That was such a beautiful experience, I think. Yeah, I could not agree more. I think also like you were saying the moments of trying on bathing suits is never something you like partially I think because of the design of the place that you're trying a bathing suit on but it's also usually who you're with and how many options you have because I think we were extremely fortunate we were shooting with SI Swim so they literally had I don't know 500 300 a thousand bikinis I think it was like several thousand yeah I think so many bikinis like they were sorted by color not even by size really like so the cool thing about it is they were like choose anything try it on it doesn't matter about the size I think when I look at the bathing suits that I have that I took home one was an extra small one was an extra large one was a one size fit all one was a medium and it was like the size didn't fucking matter. It just mattered how I felt in it and what you looked like um, and and like the vibe. And like if you feel com- – it shows that if you feel confident in any garment that you can like rock it and you can really bring out your personality. It can be something that like shows a different side of you that maybe you didn't know you had. Like I didn't know I would like wearing a skimpy little triangle bikini twice. Right. I was really right. nervous about that. And then it was like – MJ was like you're wearing this (laughs) like try it on and I was like oh my god like wait I look so hot why would I why would I not wear this and sometimes it's because of those generational um biases and viewpoints that maybe our parents had when they took us to try bathing suits on as kids did you have any of those kind of underlying thoughts that um or experiences with your family or upbringing around swim and being in a bathing suit I think, you know, I, I love my parents. I think, you know, every, every time they've said something to me, I think they have the best intentions, but it doesn't mean it necessarily like feels that way. Um, when you hear it and internalize it, I didn't have like specific, I don't have specific memories of them being like, you know, you can't wear that or that doesn't look good. But, you know, even when I called my mom to tell her that I was, selected for SI, I think, you know, her first reaction, which honestly, I totally get was like, Oh, like, you're going to be wearing a swimsuit and people are going to hire you later. And do you think they're not going to want to hire you because you are a scientist in a swimsuit or like you showed your body in a way that was provocative or sexy. Um, And I basically had to tell her like, first of all, I think that those generational norms are slowly getting broken down. 
I think there are lots of, there's a lot of room to grow, but um, I like, I don't have that fear of walking into an office and someone saying like, I'm not going to hire you because you wore a swimsuit. However, if that, even if that does happen, I don't want to work there. Like that's not a good environment for me. Right. Like I, that's great. Like you can hold on to your misogyny and your, you know, sexism and that cool. Like I will go somewhere else because this is not a good fit. Um, And I think when I told her that, like she even told me how empowering that was for her as a 68 year old woman to hear that from her daughter Mm -hmm. and say, wow, like, you know, I wish I'd been that brave when I was your age. And I think like, you know, it's up to us to keep sort of breaking down these walls and breaking free of these boxes and saying like, women can do anything. We can be anything. We can look like anything. And it's nobody's business but our own. Right. Isn't it funny that our parents see us as brave for wearing bathing suits that are like skimpy? (laughs) It's really interesting. Yeah. Um, I think about it quite often, but I agree. It's, it's about us kind of dismantling what has been prehistorically shown and like things change, body types and media change. I think now is the time where younger generations like Gen Z's and millennials are banding together and being like, F the system, we have to change it. Like every, everybody's a bikini body, you know, it's about how you feel in something and like how your confidence is is like found through um, a garment and through like just I guess like being your best self. So um, I have a question about our specific experience with Miss Mother Nature on our shoot, uh, both the rain and yeah. the other one. You oh yeah! About. Oh yeah! Was that yeah. something that empowered you during the shoot? Because for me, I was like, you know what? Fuck it! Like I can't hide this. <laughs> I can't hide this. Like yeah, no, I yeah. Um, for those who don't know, both Gigi and I were on our periods during yeah. the shoot. One of us um, had an alpha uterus. I don't know it who was it was. Awful. It was <laughs> it was awful. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, there was a point where like my tampon string was showing, and <laughs> you know, everybody was like, "Uh, might wanna, you uh, might wanna hold fix on." That. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think even now talking about it, like. I don't really feel any shame. Um, yeah. I think the the worst feeling I felt was that I was inconveniencing people, but that's like such a separate issue. Like that's just like me and my anxiety. It's not really about that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, when it comes down to it, like bodies are bodies. Like it, there's like, it's not right or wrong. It's not good or bad. It's just yeah. like something that happens. And it's Absolutely. like, you know, like it's part of the part of life. And yeah, I think like after my mastectomy, I really had to realize that, that like breasts are breasts, you know, mm-hmm. like there's not, they're not inherently sexual. They're not inherently sexy or good or bad. It's just, they're a body part. And mm-hmm. it's the same thing with um, sort of like desensitizing yourself to those like beliefs that I think you learn as part of a society, as part of a society that sexualizes and objectifies women and, you know, has things like a tampon tax and like you can't talk about periods or you can't talk about, you know, ovulation or menstruation. Um and like I just don't give a shit anymore. Like yeah. I, I'm gonna I like it's part of what makes me me, just like it's part of what makes you you, you know? Of course. Yeah. It was definitely something – I love everything you just said. And I feel like during our shoot, it was something where, like, the entire crew also was a crew that's used to working with women who menstruate like this was yeah. not like a yeah. first time like oh shit we don't know what to do like code red it was like it was like oh my sorry I'm gonna make you like spit your water out yeah it was, like, no, that something was- that they've dealt with many times and it was mostly I would say like a 80 20 you know female to male ratio on the set and like it was just so I thought I felt empowered and like nobody cared really it was like oh maybe you like stay in your your bathing suit a lot I did um and I mean nobody nobody knows that except for me and like I made this one TikTok about it and it's really just interesting to 
see that like other people are like, oh my God, wait, I can wear a bikini while I'm on my period. I can be a little bit bloated while I'm like on my period. And it's something that I think is really just, again, empowering and it's shifting that norm away from like period stigma to like period empowerment and being like, yeah, this thing is really freaking annoying, but you know what? I can still rock a bikini. I can still have fun. I can still go in the ocean. I can still eat cookies and room service and whatever I want in a bikini Um, and also shoot for SI. So I'm going to be like super excited to see those pictures and just like remember that like that was a moment in time. I also met Mother Nature in the sense of Miss Rain. Uh, Did you have any feelings about our moment with the rain? (laughs) So (laughs) for for, those – before you explain that, for those – Curious, just go back an episode and listen to my solo experience on SI and listen to me bitch about the rain for like 45 minutes. So anyway, continue. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it, the rain was a, a absurd. It was just kind of like, of course, like, of, right. of course this is happening. Um, but I mean, one of my favorite moments from the whole weekend is sitting with you on the yeah. beach as it's pouring and we're huddling under this tent eating pizza and I was like this is a this is a dream like this is such a vibe and like again such a testament to the community of people who are there where yeah. like yeah you can be modeling on your period in a rainstorm eating pizza for Sports <laughs> Illustrated swimsuit like yeah that's right? that's awesome yeah. um and like you know we got to hang out with MJ and Yutsai which was really cool um I I don't know how the pictures are gonna come out but like Whatever. It's a learn for me, especially. I think as someone who really had never modeled, it was such a learning experience. Yeah. And I think like but the rain in some ways. I, well, thanks. But, but yeah, I think the rain in some ways is actually really helpful because we got to shoot again the next day. And yeah. like, I definitely think I loosened up a bit and was yeah. able to like kind of understand what directions I was being given because at first I was like I literally don't know what you mean by that um but we also got like those we got like three opportunities it was like shoot rain shoot sunset shoot rain goodbye (laughs) exactly yeah I mean and I think like hearing hearing the crew talk about how that's just like part of it like you know it's like not uncommon like you know, you'll be shooting in 30 degree weather. You'll be shooting, you know, in a hailstorm. It's just like, I get it. You know, it's part of the work. It's part of what makes like this actually an incredibly difficult industry. And like, I just, I have so much respect and admiration for the crew and for other models and for like everybody who ends up pulling it together and creates something just so beautiful in so many different ways, just like infinite amount of respect. I'm obsessed and I couldn't agree more. And with that, it is Beveragino break time. Um, That is just the time where I like to hydrate because on my podcast, we are hydrated girlies. Yeah, I love that. Hydrated besties in my community. So I really appreciate that. So cheers to that. Cheers to you. And that was so fun. And I wish we were on the beach together eating pizza right now. I know. That really (laughs) is my my favorite memory of the weekend, I think. Like specifically eating, especially because I was like, wow, we're eating pizza. Right. And then it was like, remember when the pizza got like completely soggy because of the rain and we like went to open it once we got like back to the room and we were like, what the frick is this? Yeah, Yeah, I remember (laughs) the pizza being soggy. I remember I still have sand in my like everything from that weekend. I literally has not out the other day. I was like, wow. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Yeah, um, yeah, we love sand here, and I guess it's just kind of like a part of being with the the beachy model crew. I guess I don't really know how else to say it, but yeah, <laughs> it was it was wild. The one thing that I wish we had more of is time with like all of the other people and the yeah. girls because of this time around with our experience, they had a staggered so like one group shot video one group shot photos one and then the next day like 
the next girls shot and the first girls from the first day flew out. Like it was like they had a, the fact that they actually like pulled that off and had it like down to a T. Well, like it was yeah. incredible. We love you, Cindy, if you ever listen to this. Yeah, truly. Um, but anyhow, on to the next. I want to talk a little bit about your um, on the note of empowerment and like so what if somebody at a job like sees you in a bikini? Um, can you talk a little bit about what it's like to be a woman in STEM and how that empowers you in such a male-dominated field? Yeah. Um, so physics and astronomy, as you can imagine, is like incredibly male-dominated. Physics more so than astronomy. Um, when I was in undergrad, I distinctly remember, I mean, I had one female professor my entire college, you know, duration. And then mm-hmm. um, she happened to be a woman of color, which I think I was very lucky to have her. Um, but in most of my classes, I was one of the only women, right. um, if not the only woman in women of color. And so, I mean, that was really like, I think honestly, for a long time, I had a really hard time separating like my imposter syndrome, my mm. like doubt of myself and what I think I was, I was actually being told like explicitly and implicitly from other people that you're not good enough, that you, you shouldn't be here. You're not cut out for this. Um, someone like you doesn't belong in a, in a space like this. And so it's taken a lot of work over the last few years to try to like understand that narrative and to try to like disentangle my own work from the work of, you know, society that has basically like made me feel like shit for a lot of my, you know, time in this, in this field. Um, But also like how incredible is it that people have someone like you to look up to specifically young women to see like, like, I, I don't know, does it make the struggle worth it in some ways, knowing that other people are going to look up to you and be like, wow, you're such a role model. It helped me overcome these same exact social norms at a younger age. Yeah, I I mean, that's, first of all, very kind of you. Um, I think, I, I don't know if I'd say it's worth it. Like, I don't think, sometimes I I have an issue with how society, like, deals with trauma Mm -hmm. and tries to make meaning out of it for like to basically make people feel better when they hear about it. Not trying to say that's what you're doing. It's just like, I think that, you know, this can exist and also it can be true that I make an impact and inspire people. Of course. Um, And that's, that's, I think how I try to think about it because like, you know, the persistence that I I've had to tap into the resilience that I've had to learn um, you know, those are traits that I'm really proud of and that I know I, I have cre- almost formed out by necessity. Uh, but I also wish that that weren't the case. You know, I wish that I could, you know, go through, have gone through physics and astronomy and never yeah. felt like I was out of place um, or that I didn't belong. Um, yeah. And I think, but to your point, like, I absolutely feel like you know, it's a wonderful feeling when I have someone tell me, you know, I was inspired to do astro because of you or like I was, it doesn't even have to be astronomy, you know, it could be anything. Um, But just like I was inspired to pursue my dreams um, because I saw you pursuing yours. And I think that's such a like universal message, especially for women to hear that you are, it's not just okay, but it's wonderful to see women pursue their dreams in every field, you know, it, it doesn't just have to be STEM. Um, right. And yeah, I just feel I just feel honored to be, you know, one of those women, like to be yeah. part of that. No, it's absolutely incredible. And I really like that you pointed that out in terms of distinguishing that like two things can exist on the same plane and impact or in certain, what the hell am I trying to say? <laughs> certain difference is what I was yeah. trying to say. That they can impact certain um, and very different things. It's kind of like a web with like a mind map web where it's like you're in the center and there's like all of these things around you instead of like, I don't know, a Venn diagram maybe. Like I think like they don't need to triangulate, but they all do stem from you. Pun intended. There you go. That was pretty Um, good. 
Right? It was on the spot too. <laughs> um, and with that, let's do another water break because that made me thirsty. <laughs> you're uh, your molding of two words, merging God. I also can't talk. It's okay. It's been a long week, I'm sure, for both of us. Um, so with this whole idea also of like being kind of, I know, multi-hyphenated, which you, is that how you say it? Multi-hyphenated? Like person who has all of these different identities also and different things. How do you kind of manage that in your head and compartmentalize like, okay, when I'm being Miss Serafina Nance fiance, I'm doing that. When I'm being Sports Illustrated model, I'm doing that. When I'm being, you know, a student or a researcher at Berkeley, I'm doing that. When I'm being my astronaut, like when I'm being an author, like how do you manage all of these different things um, and still stay afloat and stay well? Because it's a lot. Um, Yes, it is. It's too much. I think I, um, I wish I had a better, I wish I had an answer. I wish I had a good answer. And I think, you know, in all honesty, like it's something I'm still trying to figure out. It's something that I think is a constant process of some weeks. I feel like I have it all scheduled perfectly and I can easily switch between tasks and roles. And then some weeks it's like all a, melding pot of of shit and I'm just like I don't know um I think some tricks that have helped me are scheduling like literally scheduling you know for two hours I will write for three hours I will code for six hours I will you know watch tv like I I think that scheduling even just visibly helps me you know, see the amount of time that I can feasibly devote to something. One of the things that I feel lucky to have, um, and I, I think actually a lot of people are like this, it's good for your brain to work on multiple projects because I think, you know, it's easy to get burnt out on one. And so when I feel like I never want to look at code again, I'll switch over to write. And that's using a very different part of my brain. I get to think about different types of problems and it energizes me a lot of times um, to have such distinctly different projects. Um, But I think, you know, and I don't know if this is what the question that you were asking, but you know, who I am through all of these different roles, whether it's Serafina on social media, Serafina, you know, writing a book or in the lab, like, I think one of the things that makes it somewhat doable is that I'm me the whole time. I never try to take on roles or pretend to be somebody Mm -hmm. who I'm not. Um, And that's one of the reasons why social media is, you know, I'm not drained all the time doing it because I'm not trying to be anybody else. Um, And that, you know, is, I think, lucky and also like I would not be able to survive if I if I had to take on these roles and pretend and feel like I was constantly grading myself on how I was you know slipping into different roles yeah couldn't agree more and let me just tell you guys when I met her she's certainly the same person for every single (laughs) moment we were literally being again we were being very sleep deprived goofballs who were just like shoveling food into our faces Um, One of my favorite moments, which I think I have talked about on my last episode, but if not, whatever, you'll hear it again now, is the moment right before when we went from our video shoot to food and all the other girls like Maddie and – Maddie and – fuck, why am I forgetting her name? Kelly. Kelly. Kelly were like in the room with us and you and I were just like literally in robes on the floor breathing. And that is just like, I mean, breath work is something that helps me kind of recenter with everything going on. But I really, really loved and cherished that moment where we were like laying there just like being ourselves. And then we're like, okay, ready? We're going. And we had our own moments and our hair and makeup. And then we got on the golf cart and we freaking went and we were just goofballs, like 
it was so much fun. So I, I just appreciated that the whole time. And also I will say you've been the same person. I don't know what kind of accent that was coming out, but you're the same person um, throughout whenever I call you or text you. Yeah. Like I literally like know that it's like you talking. So I just very much appreciate that and couldn't agree more. And I think I um, the next question I would ask is what um, – what would be your advice to somebody who potentially would want to follow in your footsteps? Yeah. Um, so I think the number one piece of advice that I give to people who are, and honestly, I think this is universal. I don't even think this is following in my career footsteps necessarily. Maybe this is just, it's better to, frame this as advice for young people Mm -hmm. in general and, you know, people who want to pursue their dreams. And my advice is do not let anybody ever tell you that you're not good enough to do something, that you're not cut out for it, that it's not meant for you. Um, Only you get to decide that. Only you get to, you know, not to get cheesy, but shape your own um, journey. And I think, of, of course, there are systemic barriers and, and, you know, really incredibly difficult things that come along with that. But I never want somebody to feel like they're not cut out for something and that they should change their path because they are being told that they're not good enough. Yeah, I I couldn't agree more. It's like somebody else's basically limiting belief is being projected onto you to limit your growth. It, it doesn't make logical sense at all when you say it that way, but I, I love how you yeah. just said that just because you can't let somebody else's opinion of you, you bother you. But I think the problem with society, especially with social media today is like, we get so many opinions thrown at us that we start to believe that it's true because we see it in writing and then maybe we look at ourselves in a mirror and we think it. I think that's why I'm such an advocate for literally talking to yourself on like the Zoom or on the mirror or on like your phone whenever you can. Right. I'm always like, hi, bestie, you're doing fucking amazing. Like keep going or like, I'm so proud of you. Like literally those little things really, really help me. So what are some things that have helped you kind of grow into your confidence and establish yourself as kind of like a leader for, you know, women's health and advocacy, which is going to be the next little moment. Um, I think the number one thing that has helped me is therapy. Like, and this is, you know, not something that I, uh, like, I can't take credit for it. I have, I've worked with, you know, a qualified mental health professional for many years to try to, you know, make sense of my anxiety and try to, you know, limit the severity of, you know, my anxiety and my depression. And that has been huge for me. I think only recently, you know, I, have started to step into that confidence and started to believe when I say I am capable, mm-hmm. I am worthy, I am enough. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, it would be dishonest to say that it's easy or that it's something that happens yeah. overnight. It's a lot of work. Um, and I think for many, including myself, it's a lifelong journey. Um, but to me, and I've, I've said this to my therapist many times, to me, that's the most important work of, of my life is trying to learn to be okay with myself and love myself and, and you know, share that with the world. Um, and I, I, I don't say that to sound cliche. Like, it's just, I think, you know, when you find that light within yourself, it sort of radiates outwards. Um, Yours certainly does. I can tell you that party, people. Thank you. Um, but yeah, that's that's definitely 
So true. And also on the note of like talking about mental health online, um, I don't know, do you talk like openly about therapy? I, I, I feel like I, I don't know if I've seen that. So I don't want to like out you right now. No, no, no. <laughs> I'm very open about it. Very um, open. <laughs> and like another thing I've been kind of focusing on is this idea of like taking your daily medicine. I know you did witness me being a little bit of a maniac in the morning, like pounding my medicine back. Um, have you had discussions either on social media or with people in your life or around you about not only like the medicine you take, but maybe the medicine they take and how it helps them in their productivity? Yeah, a hundred percent. I was, so I am a huge advocate for asking for help and for knowing when you need to seek help. Um, and for me, medication has been huge. Um, and that's not just for my mental health, but also like when I was going through all my surgeries, right? Like I was on antibiotics for a long time. I was on many different medications for over a year, basically. Um, and yeah, I, I think that I, I will be the first person to say my Lexapro, like gets me through, like, Mm -hmm. I feel very grateful that I found a, like, system of medication that works for me. Um, And I was very hesitant to get on medication, specifically for mental health for a long Mm -hmm. time, because I think I felt like my anxiety is what made me me. And I was nervous that I was going to lose myself uh, when I got a handle on my anxiety. And that took a lot of therapy to, you know, separate the two. Yeah. And once I, you know, made the leap to, to start medication, I mean, my life quality of life has just improved so much. Um, and I have many conversations with those close to me in my life. Um, and you know, on social media about, you know, hesitancy and, and, seeking people around you that can help you make informed decisions about your health. Yeah. I really love that. And I also love what you said about this idea and this kind of fear of taking medicine and what that's going to do, um, how it's going to potentially disrupt your your identity. Um, for me, I actually had an opposite reaction where I was like, I don't want to rely on medicine. I it wasn't about not making me me. It was like I just have anxiety about taking this many pills a day and like even if it does improve my life, I'm still going to have to worry about taking medicine and getting it insured and when I get off I'm 23 when I get off my parents' healthcare insurance in a couple of years am I going to be able to afford it? Is it long term? Like that's what was going through my head with medicine and taking it and I will say Thank God I got over that. Um, It took time because of my history with taking pills, but I I never had, let me clarify, I never had a problem. I just did develop disordered eating habits because of the side effects of medication, which is also something that I feel like is not talked about enough. But aside from that, that's like a completely other story. This medicine that I've been on for the past eight, nine months has also changed my quality of life because it's made me... I think into a better person, it's taken away that thing that was limiting our, like, I think our growth overall. And I still struggle with it where I'm like, to my therapist, I'm like getting anxious about, I I think I was telling you like going to the DR and potentially getting stuck with like a positive COVID test, um, like with the recovered COVID, you know, test, however that works and not having a doctor's note to come back and then not being on my medicine, not being able to get it because it's a controlled substance. Like I was so anxious about this one situation that ended up being completely fine. And I ended up getting back in the States and getting my medicine on time. But that kind of fear still is something that I deal with every single month. Um, So do you do like, how do you kind of deal with either like the idea of like continuously taking medicine every day um, and or acquiring it if that's a problem for you. Yeah. So I have so many thoughts about what you just said. Um, I like part of this is frankly how 
messed up the United States healthcare system is. Yeah. And I, we don't have to, I like, I don't want to totally derail the conversation, but it makes, you know, talking about health and advocacy, (laughs) we can go anywhere we want. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, I think it's just, it's, it's absurd that sick people have to do so much work to get the care that they need and deserve. Um, and it just really, makes me incredibly angry. I've seen my dad who has metastatic prostate cancer go through this time and time again. I went through this when I was trying to get um, my mastectomy and um, it's incredibly frustrating. Like it makes me so mad because these people, you know, are just trying to survive, just trying to live. And there are so many barriers, cost, access, um, you know, like, there, there are so many barriers that make getting accessible good. Not even, I'm not even asking for excellent. I would like excellent, but not just, just standard care mm-hmm. is not a standard in this country. Um, and that it extends to medication. So for example, my dad, um, I mean, COVID made this even more difficult, but he was in Mexico yeah. And he, that's where he lives. And he had to get his hormone uh, therapy somehow to Mexico. And of course the U S medical system like has so many rules about how you can get your medication, which of course costs hundreds to thousands of dollars every single month. Um, that it was just a total nightmare for him to get his medication. And we had to do, I mean, it was, it was an incredible amount of stress where somewhere like seven or eight people had to get involved in our friend circle in order to get it to him. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I think beyond just medication, just insurance as a, as a premise where you have to be employed or under the age of 25 to get insurance and, and have parents who have insurance, I think is also insane because for yeah. example, my dad, he was too sick to work for a while mm-hmm. and therefore he didn't have insurance through his employer and therefore it was impossible to get care or medication. So right. the whole system is, is just like not, it's, it's designed to exploit rich or designed to exploit ill people, not take care of them. It's um, wild when you like really dig into it. And I think that's why advocacy and continuing to not only talk about individual problems on a patient level, but addressing the systemic, the systemic levels of problems are also important. And um, I don't know about you. I know you mentioned you do talk to your doctors a little, so I would like to kind of transition now into talking about the gene mutation, which increased your risk of breast cancer, your whole journey with that, and how you have relationships with your doctors mm-hmm. um, and how you've advocated for yourself throughout your journey. Yeah. Um, so I, let's see, where do I start? My grandmother on my dad's side had ovarian cancer and died of pancreatic cancer when I was a kid. I'm sorry. Um, thank you. It was, yeah. So anyway, I knew cancer was part of our family just based on her illnesses. Um, but never really thought too much about it until my dad was diagnosed with stage four prostate cancer when I was 23. Um, so I was in college. Yeah. Or yeah, exactly. And, um, I no, actually I was 20, 21, maybe anyway, I was in my early twenties and, um, prostate cancer typically is caught pretty early. Um, it's a typically a more slow moving disease than other types of cancer. And so the fact that my dad's was so fast moving, I mean, Mm -hmm. he developed metastatic, uh, prostate and, you know, bone tumors over a span of six months, which is just an insane time timeline. Um, because of how aggressive it was, he got genetic testing. He came back to be positive for the BRCA2 gene, uh, gene mutation. Mm-hmm. That genetic mutation gives <clears throat> his children, child, a 50-50 chance of inheriting it. So I got tested um, right away and came back positive. So this 
um, genetic mutation increases my lifetime risk of breast cancer to 87%. Um, my risk of ovarian cancer is 30 something percent. Um, and then there's pancreatic, mm-hmm. um, and melanoma and some other cancers. So it's a pretty, it's not a great <laughs> mutation to have. Um, and for a long time, uh, you know, the next couple of years, I was really trying hard not to think about it. You know, I was super young. I was in my early twenties. I was definitely in denial. Um, and I was worried about my dad, but when I was 25, I had to start getting MRIs of my breasts to start monitoring how they were doing. And I was scheduled to do MRIs every six months for my whole life. Yeah. Um, no. <laughs> and I remember, yeah. And I, and not only is it stressful, but the cost, I mean, the sheer cost of that is just astronomical. Yeah. So I went in for my MRI and it came back with a region of concern. And I was so anxious for two weeks waiting on the biopsy results, waiting on, you know, whether I had breast cancer, whether I had cancer at the same time my dad had cancer. Um, And thankfully it came back to be benign. Um, But I left that experience being like, fuck this. Like I am not going through this every six months and I will do, you know, whatever I need to do to basically mitigate my risk. And that's when I started, when I decided to have a preventative double mastectomy. So that surgery reduces my risk to less than 5%. Um, So I was 25 at the time and starting to interview surgeons, starting to interview oncologists, all of the onus for all of the research is on the patient, which is another really mm-hmm. shitty thing about this. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had many doctors refuse to talk to me um, or say, you know, you don't have breast cancer yet, so you don't need to have this surgery. And, you know, that is incredibly difficult to hear. Yeah. Um, it's so hard to advocate for yourself, especially with, you know, something as intimate as your health. And like to be basically told over and over again that you're not sick enough, you're not, um, you know, old enough to make these decisions uh, was horrible. So anyway, I went through many weeks of, you know, really dealing with, yeah, months, months um, until I found my surgeon who is incredible. One of these days you should have her on. She's unbelievable. Her name is Dr. Ann Pellid. She's now one of my best friends. Um, And, you know, I knew I loved her when I went into her office. I brought, you know, 12 pages of notes that I'd made about breast cancer and about surgeries. Mm -hmm. And she sat down and listened and answered my questions for over an hour. And she genuinely connected with me and she heard me and she never tried to make me feel like I was making a stupid decision or that I hadn't thought about the ramifications one way or the other. Um, And having her as, you know, on my side throughout my three surgeries was the reason why I felt confident doing it. It's because I knew that I trusted her. Um, and that alleviated so much stress for me because that meant I didn't need to be stressed about a lot of the things, um, that I typically would have been. Wow. Um, yeah. Sorry. Long, long answer. Amazing story. Don't apologize ever. You never have to apologize with me. Um, but a question that I have is about like when you enter, you were interviewing all your doctors, um, were you thinking about, your place as a woman and how you might be treated differently if it was like, I don't know, like prostate cancer or something, (laughs) like if you were a man and um, were the doctors, you know, all women, were the doctors that told you no, all men. Um, I unfortunately have had experiences with that because I don't look sick. And unfortunately, there's nothing you can do about Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome. It's a genetic like deformity that you just have to deal with and manage on your own. But I've had so many doctors tell me it's in your head, you know, you'll outgrow it. It's like you don't outgrow a, like your DNA being 
deformed. <laughs> so um, what, uh, what is like your experience with just being yeah. treated, you know, and do you think it did have to do with being a woman, a young woman, I should say? Absolutely. I think I, um, I mean, so I, a couple years ago, looked up these stats, so they're probably out of date now, but at the time it was something like 85 to 90% of all breast surgeons in the U.S. were male. Um, mm. And I mean, you know, when you have conversations with your surgeon, not just about breasts, but also about sensation in breasts, how you're, you know, going to have intimacy after you have the surgery, what it's going to feel like, how will it change? Um, I know many women in the breast cancer community um, who never didn't even know they were going to entirely lose sensation in their chest until they were in the OR, woke up, uh, sorry, not in the OR, in the, whatever, in the hospital after having surgery and were like, oh, I can't feel my breasts. And the doctors are like, yeah, because you will not have feeling ever again. That is when they learned that they were not going to have sensation, which is just yeah. absolutely mind blowing to me. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, that is another reason why I love my surgeon is that not only is she a woman, but she also had breast cancer. So mm. she intimately knows the journey of, you know, being a cancer patient, which I yeah. don't. Um, but you know, I have, I have a little bit of a taste of it based on my, my surgeries. Um, yeah. and I think, you know, it's even worse as, as you know, for women of color, for black women, especially, um, you know, they get dismissed and gaslit just all the time, um, in the medical field. And, um, it makes it really hard when, you know, you're trying to advocate for, increased prevention, increased genetic testing, increased conversations with healthcare professionals. And a lot of those conversations aren't safe. They're not an enjoyable, like you are told that you're wrong or that you're an idiot or that you, you know, shouldn't be asking the questions that you're asking. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's a very, um, like difficult, I think, uh, reality for a lot of people who are trying to get the care that they need. And, like coming back to, I think your story and, um, you know, my own story is that the, a common thread is we have to advocate for ourselves constantly to be taken seriously and to get care. Um, and to me, like that is such a fundamental brokenness in the way that we approach illness, um, as a society and it makes me really mad. Yeah. It's really challenging and it, First of all, hearing that your surgeon also had a firsthand experience is not only empowering, but it's reassuring because I also have friends right now who live with my condition, who are studying to be genetic doctors and going to pharmacy school to understand the drugs better. And like people with disabilities and with chronic health conditions and with, um, would you consider your condition like a chronic health? What, what, what kind of classification would you call it? I just want to make I, sure I'm right. No, totally. I struggle with it. I haven't really, I think chronic, it's not a, it's not a chronic illness, but it's a chronic health condition. I think yeah, it's probably a therapist. Cause it's there um, forever. Exactly. And it'll affect my health decisions for yeah. forever. So again, people with chronic health issues need to be educated on a, uh, doctor, MD, uh, I don't know, chemistry, biology, smart person level. Not that yeah. regular patients aren't smart, but I think that it's important to have that lens on it the same way that like, you know, like it's kind of like, how do I even describe it? It's like you, you, it, you have this sense of understanding the community that you're helping that much more. And I think that that is so important. And I think healthcare is slowly inching towards that. But I think that it's going to definitely take a long time. But I know Gen Z and a lot of millennials are really interested in pursuing their passion and really trying to change the, the system for the next generation when it comes to advocating and understanding and working with patients because I mean they're actually working for patients yeah like we're not we're paying them to work for us to help our health 
and we're getting such bad service. So I think if we think about it as a transaction, which is what it really is, it becomes easier to advocate for yourself. Um, Something like I've recently been thinking about is like sometimes my doctors, because they're very specific and they're specialty doctors, will like bring in a fellow. And it's like, Mm -hmm. I don't really want like a random person who knows nothing about my condition, who's going to ask me questions as if I am a textbook, like go read my chart, buddy. Like I literally, this one time you're going to die. I had a fellow come in the room and ask me like, so you have chronic pain. Like what causes that? I'm like, bro, first of all, you're the doctor. Second of all, read my fucking chart. Third of all, go talk to my doctor about it. Like this is disastrous. So I was like, I do not ever want to see a fellow in the room when I'm with this doctor. And that's one of many things. Another thing is like when you go and you get your vitals done, oh, can I step on the scale backwards? I don't want to hear my weight. That is a very simple way of doing it. Oh, can you, you know, answer this question or like why do you need a certain blood test, you know? Like I think asking these questions helps you understand holistically about your health. Um, Like even my pain psychologist will go through and explain even the idea of pain. Like right, Like it's perceptional. Unless, unless like in your case, that's not necessarily perceptional. That is like something that has been invasively done to your body. So it's just interesting to kind of like understand on the actual scientific level of what is happening to our body and how that's connected with our mind. And I know we're coming up on time here. I just wanted to ask you two more questions. The next question is really how has this whole journey with, you know, the mastectomy affected and healthcare and advocating for yourself affected your mental health? And what does it mean to advocate for yourself? So I think um, one of the first things I said when I woke up from my mastectomy is, you know, I did it. I'm so proud of yeah. myself. I'm proud um, of you. Thank you. I I feel like that was probably the proudest that I have felt because I made a decision, you know, that a lot of people second guessed and yeah. and disagreed with. Uh, but I knew in my gut, I knew in my body and every cell that it was the right decision for me. And to listen and act on that was an incredibly empowering experience. So I think, yes, there have been really hard moments, absolutely, in this journey where, you know, I've, I've had to relearn my body. I've had to relearn how to do a push-up and how to, you know, like do a pull-up and all of these things that I couldn't reach for, you know, a cup for three months after surgery. I mean, there's just like, it is such a, it's amputating part of your body. Mm -hmm. It's such an an incredibly invasive procedure. Um, And there are moments where that was really hard, but I think overall I have felt so strong and grateful, empowered and confident in, in my decision Mm -hmm. Um, and in this journey. And I think like, because I had such a positive experience with such a difficult thing, it, that makes me want to share and makes me want to encourage others to advocate for themselves, to find doctors who will listen to them, who will take them seriously, who will value sensation and, you know, whatever else is important to them. Yeah, that's amazing. And I'm really just like happy to know that you also in a lot of ways found a silver lining. Like, yes, it was because of your advocacy and because you interviewed all of these doctors and that's to not to mention fucking exhausting yeah. and ridiculous that we have to even go through and do that. Um, but it's just really amazing that you now advocate for it. And did you always go right into sharing it on social media right away? Like, were you very open about that? Yeah, pretty much. I think like we instantaneously. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, again, it goes back to, I can't be anything other than myself. And if something that big is happening in my life and these people are, you know, here theoretically to support and, right. um, you know, you know, like, yeah, of course I will share that. And it, as part of that, I feel like I have impacted people. I have touched people. I have changed lives. And absolutely, what a gift that is to be able to, to do that and say that. Um, and 
yeah, it just invigorates me to like keep doing the work that I'm doing. Yeah. And do people in like the STEM field like ever look at that or your social media and are like, what? <laughs> yeah. Oh, all the time. All the time. I've had people be like, are you? yeah, they're very confused. Um, but you know, that's fine. It opens up a conversation and yeah. like, I, I know that there are people out there for anybody who has an online presence, like you're judged, you are, yeah. opinions are created about you, um, and rumors and whatever. I, I don't really know everything that's out there, but I do know that once you put something online, people will take from that, whatever they want to take from that. And your image of yourself is not who you are. Um, you know, people will perceive whatever they want to perceive. So, um, I think, you know, despite all of that, I've, I still feel like, you know, the one moment where I know someone told me I'm getting genetic testing because, you know, you shared your story or I'm BRCA positive and I'm going to get a mastectomy or I'm not going to get a mastectomy because I've realized that that's the right thing for me. Great. More power mm -hmm. to you. Right. It's yeah. equipping yourself with that knowledge to make informed decisions. Yeah. And that is what I'm most passionate about in STEM, in women's health, in writing, whatever it is. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. And we didn't really even talk about your book. So tell us briefly as we exit, as we make the mass exodus, yes. um, <laughs> tell us about your book and then, you know, where people can find you and yeah, what's exciting cool. for you. Wait, before you do that, what's your favorite mantra? I ask every guest this or like quote. What's a Oh, a quote, like um, a quote or a mantra, something you like live by, a motto, whatever you want. To probably call it. this is so cheesy, but probably Carl Sagan, who's um, for those who don't know, like a one of the most don't know. wonderful, yeah. important science communicators of all time. Um, he was like Bill Nye before Bill Nye was around, oh. um, and he was an astronomer, and um, his famous quote you are star stuff um we are the stuff of stars like that to me is so utterly beautiful um from a science perspective and from just like keeping perspective and how small our lives are yet how special they are and um I don't know I really we're like all that. stars rising yeah. stars for we're the matter. stuff of stars <laughs> I love it um so okay yeah thank you so so much for being on my show tonight uh I can't wait for more people to listen to this episode it was fucking bomb you're the best tell you're people the best. about your book and where they can find you and what they can look forward to yeah so I am writing a memoir it's coming out in 2023 with Penguin Random House. And Woo. it is about being a woman in science and really wonderful things about astronomy and also how someone can try to survive in a field that is not created for someone like me. Um, so, so excited to read it. I want to really excited copy. about it. Oh, of course. I'll be um, at the book launch. <laughs> great. Yeah, of course, obviously. Um, so yeah, that's what's coming up. And you can find me at starstrickensf on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and I'll link it not at this. large. Yeah. <laughs> okay, cool. Oh my God. Yeah, no, you are the freaking best. Okay, let me stop the recording now. That is all, party people. Come back next week for another episode of Everything You Need Is Within. I'll catch you next time. I hope you enjoyed. Don't forget to like, comment, and subscribe. If that's even a thing here, I don't think it is. But you can follow us on Spotify now. So follow the podcast on Spotify and on Green Room. Okay, bye, party people.